My name is Daniel. I get the honor and privilege of leading and serving our kids and student ministry teams uh, here at Northridge. And if you are with us for the very first time, welcome. I get also the privilege of kicking off this brand new summer series that we'll get to be hearing from many uh, different voices from our staff. And uh, the series is called Marked by, uh, which we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit, which if you have a Bible or your notes out, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be there just in a minute. Another really fun thing about this series is it's actually our whole entire church is doing this. Our preschool ministry started a marked by series today talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Our elementary ministry started a marked by series talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And you're obviously here, so we're talking about that too. Uh, And so we're really excited. A great opportunity for family conversation and a discipleship over the course of this 10 weeks. And if you're thinking 10 weeks, I know my Bible kind of well, or you can read those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. There's only nine of those. Well, this week is an overview week where we're kind of tilling the ground, preparing us, because we've got a lot of ground to cover before we dive into love, joy, peace, patience, etc. over the next uh, couple weeks. And this series is called Marked By and Not Just Fruit of the Spirit because these are all characteristics that Christians, followers of Jesus, should be known for. They should be known by love, known by joy, known by patience. But you're probably thinking right now, I know a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus that these are not characteristics that I would list about their life. Or even maybe you're thinking, Man, there's been so many times in my life where I've not exercised patience or I've not exercised kindness or goodness or fill in the blank. And and that's because so much of the time we just struggle on those things. And and it reminds me of a story a couple months ago, my wife and I, we were in back home and home for us is Arkansas, uh, not Arkansas for those of you who are going to poke fun at me later. But uh, I, I don't talk like most of you. I have a slight accent, slight Uh, But anyway, so we were back home. We were in Arkansas enjoying time with friends and family. And my wife was standing in the kitchen in my mom's house uh, talking to one of my cousins who doesn't claim to be a follower of Jesus, doesn't claim to go to church anywhere. And uh, she just made the comment that if I would have met more Christians like you when I was in high school, I maybe would have given God a chance. And man, like, isn't that so true of so many different people's stories that a Christian is who turns someone off from Jesus or just church altogether. And I don't tell you that story to uh, make you think that my wife is a super Christian, even though she is, she's incredible. Uh, But I tell you that just to say like, man, how true is this and how important is this series that we can be marked by things that we're supposed to be known by instead of the opposite. But the opposite of that story is also true about our church, about Northridge. I talk to countless people in the lobby uh, every weekend that say, I I never gave church a chance but Northridge. Or I I used to not go to church very often but Northridge. Or my old church or this or that. And, And they speak so highly of our church that you can be real here, that you can pursue God at Northridge. And that is just something I love to celebrate about our church, is that we're full of broken people trying to pursue Jesus the best way we know how. And, and so much of the time, being broken people that are messed up trying to pursue Jesus the best way we know how, we need to be corrected by God and his word. And that's exactly who Paul is writing to in the book of Galatians, a, a group of churches that need to be corrected by God and his word to better follow him. So this series really can be summed up in one word, sanctification. And that's just a big churchy word for this simple definition. God can, God's continued work in us to make us 
more like Jesus. God's continued work. God is continuing to work in each and every one of us. That God's not done with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, God didn't just meet you one day and say, okay, you're saved, figure it out. No, God is continuing to work in and through your life to make you more like him. And it's very intentional in everything that he does. And in fact, it it reminds me of when I was in high school, uh, I used to work on a row crop farm. We farmed about 10,000 acres of uh, beans, cotton, corn, and et cetera, uh, a lot of grain. Um, And there was a lot of things we did on the farm very, very intentionally. I worked there for about five or six years, all the way through high school, and then a little bit into college. And uh, we worked the ground very intentionally. We planted seeds very intentionally. We watered crops. We sprayed for bugs. We sprayed uh, for weeds. We de-weeded fields. We did a lot of stuff very, very intentionally. But as I was reflecting on all those years working on the farm, I realized something. Nothing I did made anything grow. Like, isn't that just humbling to think about? Like, the fact that I worked sweat and and many, many hours on a farm trying to get things to grow, and I actually had zero control over anything actually growing in those fields. Because there were times that we worked so hard on different fields, and at the end of the year, when harvest time come, we had a subpar harvest. Or the opposite may be true, that we worked kind of halfway on a lot of things, and this field kind of was not doing the best, and then all of a sudden something happened crazy, like a miracle of God, and we had a great harvest in certain fields. And I believe that truth is why Paul opens this section of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 16 just in a second, where he starts and he doesn't say, okay, Galatian church, followers of Jesus, make it grow. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Will it into being. Make these fruit of the Holy Spirit. Make them happen in your life. He actually says something very different. This is what he says. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, he says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that... You are not to do whatever you want. Paul lets us know real quick from this verse that there is a struggle. There is a struggle. And our problem is so much of the time that we don't realize that there's actually a struggle going on in our lives as we're trying to follow Jesus. Look at verse 17 with me very specifically. For the flesh desires what is contrary or against to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Like Bills and Patriots fans, these two will never get along. There's not a hope, there's not a prayer for these two getting along. And like any good competition, to really know what's going on, we have to know the players. So let's talk about these two players, the flesh and the spirit. Uh, The spirit. Who is the Spirit? Well, the Spirit is God himself. That's why Paul, in four different times in these ten verses, says phrases like this. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is both the starter and the sustainer in our Christian life. 
If you think about your relationship with God, probably the first kind of relationship you think about is parenting. Well, I get the privilege of being parents along with my wife, Rena, to uh, our son, who will be one years old in like two months, and we're, uh, we're expecting our second in December. So we're really excited uh, to get to be parents to number two, uh, and who, whatever this child may be to come. And so, but anyways, and, and our goal in parenting is that these kids grow up one day, make their own money, buy their own food, and have their own jobs, and, and make their own families, and then we get to come hang out at their house. Like, that's our goal as parents. Our goal as parents is not that they hang out in our basement until, you know, we all go meet Jesus one day, right? And so that's our goal in parenting, is they become independent one day, but actually your relationship with God is the opposite of that. God's goal for you and being his child is not that you grow and become independent and can figure it out all on your own. His, his goal for you is that you actually increase independence. That when you increase in your dependence on God, you actually are increasing in your spiritual maturity. It's not the opposite. It's the opposite of your actual parent-child relationships here on this earth. Because he says, Paul says, when you increase in your dependence on God, verse 16, one more time you will not do the works of the flesh. As you increase in your dependence on God and you leaning into everything he has, as you walk by the Spirit, you will actually not do the works of the flesh. Well, what is the flesh? The flesh is this, simple definition, you corrupted by sin. The flesh is you corrupted by sin. The flesh here in this verse, the original language, is not talking about this physical body flesh. It's the flesh is, as Paul is using it here, is what man has made him in contrast of what God intended man to originally be. It's you tainted, violated, and weakened by sin. And this, this flesh is actually talking about how all human history of all the sin of mankind from the first man, Adam, until you now has been passed down through the lineage of human history. And the flesh is both the culprit and the captive of sin. And so as the flesh works in each one of our lives, there is no neutral in our lives. As the flesh is working in us and within us, it's actually working to make us selfish, greedy, and by nature uh, weakened by our sinful sinfulness. The NEB translation of the Bible, uh, there's a scholar by the name of William Barclay. He translates this word in the original language that we see as flesh in our NIV as lower nature. He's trying to get across this idea that the flesh, as Paul defines it, is the total sum of all humankind from the first man who brought sin into the world, pass it down to all others, and all others activate and work in the flesh, is us, the sum of our lower nature, of our, all of our passions, desires, and works. Paul gives us a gut punch, essentially is what I'm trying to say. And Paul says, um, that there are promises. He lists multiple promises in this. That's actually your next fill in the blank if you're taking notes. The promises include this, verse 17, the negative promise, since we're being very negative in this moment, is this. So the flesh works in your life like this, verse 17, so that you are not to do whatever you want. That as a follower of Jesus, the chances are, I've never met a follower of Jesus that says, you know what I really want to do today? Hurt God's heart more. Man, that would be great. No, actually a follower of Jesus, you want to honor God. You want to do what God wants you to do. But your flesh, your sinful nature is actually working against you. It's actually tempting you and leading you in a direction that doesn't want to honor God. 
The, the second promise is this. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Paul points out that these works of the flesh are very clear. You could spot them from a mile away. So let's read what he includes. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, that's simply wickedness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Wow, there was that. Like, obvious, right? He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Let me share some obvious things with you. Here they go. And each one of those, we could talk about them in, in detail, but we're not. But they're obvious. Just like Paul said, they are very clear. When these things are happening in the world, they are obvious. But the phrase I want to zero in on is the last three words of verse 21 that your eyes probably glazed over like mine did when I first read it, and the like. Paul uses this terminology to explain to us that this list that he's given us isn't exhaustive. That actually when you follow Jesus, the Spirit of God works in your life to give you a heightened nature, a transcendent set of values within you so that you'll be able to spot when there's more works of the flesh in the world. That you'll be able to recognize when something is of God or of the flesh, of sin nature, that that thing is actually leading you away from God. Isn't that encouraging that God has not left you? He's with you, he's for you, and he's working within you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he is working in your life to help you know what is of God and something you should do versus what is not of God, and you should stay away from that thought, that action, or that motivation in your life. So the tension in all of our lives, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, is this. There's no neutral because something will grow. In your life, something will grow. There's no neutral state. And you're like, hey, Daniel, cool. That's awesome. I'm going to go. We're going to have a great fourth and just go live my life like I did. No, 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 no. no, no. Listen, listen, listen. Something is going to grow in your life. I, I shared with you that uh, I worked on a row crop farm, thousands of acres, yada, yada, yada. That's all cool. Uh, but we did a lot of things very intentionally. Two other things we did super intentionally was, number one, we took every Sunday off because the farmer claimed to be a follower of Jesus and uh, wanted all of us to go to church. So that was great. Another thing we did super intentionally is the, the farmer took his whole family on a week-long vacation in the grind season, as we called it, where he's working long hours and not getting to see them very much. So he wanted to take a week off, get away from the stress, all the hustle bustle of, of growing uh, crops and, and just get away and just relax for about a week. And uh, during that week, us farmhands that all got left behind, uh, we had to water the fields, just make sure nothing died. And that's about all we did. And believe it or not, I don't know if you've ever tried to like grow grass in your lawn really well, but just like the grass in your lawn, there's things that you didn't plant that popped up that constantly pop up, like those dandelions, those other weeds, or if you grow a vegetable garden, somehow you're really good at growing everything except vegetables, or uh, if you grow that flower garden, you're really good at growing everything except flowers. That's the same thing that happened in all those uh, agricultural fields, the rice fields, the wheat fields, everything. That's the same thing. We would, he would come back from that week-long vacay, and he would look out into a field and say, I didn't ask that to grow. I didn't plant that there. Why is it there? And man, that's the truth. Like if you've ever tried to go grass in your yard, but dandelions start popping up, or you didn't even plant the, the, that grass in the cracks in your driveway, but it, somehow it's found its way there. Like all these things, we know this experience, like 
You didn't put it there, but somehow it got there. Either the wind blew it up or an animal brought that seed and planted it in the ground and it sprouted up even though you didn't ask it. And the choice now that you have to make is are you going to deal with that weed or let it grow? And the same is true in your life. There's things that pop up in your life that you didn't ask to be there. That anger, that greed, that jealousy, that lust. You didn't plant it there. You didn't ask it to be there. But somehow it blew into your life. And your question that you have to wrestle through is, am I going to deal with it? Or will I let it grow? Am I going to deal with the fact that someone else brought this in, either brought it to my attention or they got me in a break room conversation and and whatever they said, that thing they brought up, it made me so mad. And the question is, are you going to deal with it or will you let it grow? Because if you let it grow, how many of you know it'll overtake your life? Just like if we let those weeds grow in that field, it'll overtake the field and it'll make that field either worthless Or when harvest time came, you wouldn't be able just to harvest the good stuff. You'd have to harvest everything and take it all with you. And that would actually decrease the value of all that produce. Because there's a bunch of weeds mixed up in the midst of good fruit. So I remember that Monday morning, the first time the farmer came back from vacation. And I showed up to the shop and he handed me one of these. A machete. And now 15-year-old Daniel didn't know what we were doing that day, but he was excited, okay? Because I was like, man, if you hand me one of these, I feel like I'm on Lord of the Rings fighting orcs, and I'm ready to go. And he explained to me that we're going to chop cotton, and we're going to go get rid of the weeds. He dropped me off in an 80-acre field and said, deal with the weeds. And I said, yes, sir. And so I went through there, and I was chopping everything that wasn't cotton down in its tracks. And it took me two or three hours, but I was having the time of my life. And so uh, after those two or three hours were done, I picked up the phone, I called him, I said, hey, I'm done, uh, come pick me up. And so he shows up back to the field, he gets out of his truck, he didn't just let me hop in, I was confused why, I think he knew that I was not going to do it right. Uh, but anyways, so he opts out and I said, I'm all done. He says, you're not done. And how many of you have ever done manual labor and experienced your boss or your supervisor saying, you're not done? And that's just like the most gut-wrenching, sinking feeling in your life, like, Really? And so he explained to me what I had done is I had went through the field and chopped everything right at the surface. I left the root in the ground, essentially. I just chopped it right at the surface. Sometimes the stalks were that tall. Sometimes they were just about as big as a thumbnail. But I'd left them in the ground. And he began to explain to me that if you leave root, uh, weed roots in the ground, that they're so resilient that they'll just come right back up. And some of you that uh, deal with them in your lawn or whatever the case may be, if you just chop them down, they just come right back. And Just like if you deal with just the fruit of anger in your life, anger will always resurface in another area. Or lust or greed, you just fill in the blank. It'll always come back up. So he got down on his hands and knees and took me to the first root weed uh, that I was going to deal with that day. And he began to show me how I was going to de-root every weed. I was going to work the soil. I was going to chop, the break the ground up where enough where I could get my hand down and pull it out. He said you had to do three things to really get a weed out of the field. You had to get it out of the earth, get it into the light, and get it away from the source of life, which is water. You had to get it away from all those things. And so I had to be very intentional about everything I did. And for five long hours, I worked that field and got every single root out of that field. They came back, but I dealt with them. I was very intentional And Paul tells this church, this followers of Jesus, when it comes to the weeds or the sin in their life, he says this, verse 24, 
those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. The word crucified is the same word that is used in the New Testament Gospels for how they killed Jesus. It wasn't a magic pill that Jesus swallowed for us that killed him or took a magic bullet. No, he died the most intentional, agonizing death possible. And that is what Paul says is how we should deal with our sin. Intentional. It'll be painful, but it's worth it. And not only does he say that we should be intentional removing the works of the flesh, he actually says that those who belong to Christ Jesus, who follow the, the Spirit, they're not only what they do, but what they want to do changes along, next, next phrase, with its passions and desires. That word desires is the same word for cravings. I share with you my, my wife's pregnant. Each time that she's been pregnant, her cravings shift. If you've ever been around anybody who's pregnant or been pregnant yourself, you know your, your cravings change. What you used to like makes you want to throw up. Now, what you used to kind of be okay with, you can't get enough of. Because there's been an internal change that produces external results, external results in our lives. And the same is true for followers of Jesus. That there's been an internal work that now is produced an external working, an external working in our lives. That as you follow Jesus, it may not be immediate in your life, but as you're leaning into him, as you're allowing him to do his work in your life, not only what you do changes, but what you want to do will begin to change. Well, what is that want to do that changes? Paul says, verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. That word says forbearance. That's a fancy word for patience. Trust me. All right. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit, the produce, that word fruit means produce of the Spirit, is all these character traits. Notice that I uh, have been very intentional about using the singular term fruit. I haven't said the fruits of the Spirit. But so much of the time, when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, we think of maybe a fruit basket. I mean, even on our graphics, there's all these different fruits, grapes, bananas, strawberries, etc., and we think of it like, oh yeah, there's this array of fruits. There's all these things we can pick from uh, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. We may even think of it, maybe not literally, but functionally. This is how we act in our lives a lot of times. We act like we're at a graduation banquet or a wedding shower, and we're walking down the brunch table, and there's this fruit spread out, and you're like, strawberries. Yeah, man, I'll take some love. Raspberries. Oh, joy, that'd be nice. Peace. I'll take one. And then we're walking down, we're like, goodness, faithfulness, I'll do that for somebody else, patience, I definitely don't want to that. And it's like, uh, self-control, no, nope, we're good. I got my, man, I got my fruit. I got love and joy and a little bit of peace. Oh, goodness, I'll take one of those. Yeah, let's put that right there. Goodness, uh, this, is, this is the fruit that I want. This is what I want in my life. I want a, all the love and joy and a little bit of peace, a little bit of goodness, but that patience and self-control, like, I'll leave that for somebody else. I'm sure they'll, they'll want that. But actually, Paul doesn't say that's what the fruit of the Spirit is at all. There's no junior version of the Holy Spirit. There's no pick and choose of what the Spirit is working in our lives. If the Spirit of God is in your life, there's no junior version. He is working, and you have every single one of these flavors of the Holy Spirit. So no longer do we think fruit basket. No longer do we think brunch. We are going to start thinking, when we think of the fruit of the Holy Spirit... We're going to think fruit 
roll-ups, all right? And all the kids and teenagers said, amen, mom and dad, let's go buy some of these on the way home, all right? Fruit roll-up, because the fruit roll-up, this is one of my favorite snacks as, as a kid, because it had every wonderful flavor rolled up in one convenient package. You had, and if, and if you could take a bite of one of these on your way out the door and say, I could zero in, I'm just tasting strawberry. It's like, no, you're not. That's a, that's a lie. Like you can't isolate just one flavor because they're all wrapped up in there in that tropical blend. There's mango in there. There's strawberry. There's raspberry. There may be some blackberry in there, papaya. I don't know, passion fruit. They're all kind of wrapped up in there. And when the spirit is working in our life, what it produces is it looks a lot like love. It looks a lot like peace. It looks a lot like patience. It looks a lot like kindness. And when that produce is in our life, you then become a walking, talking testimony of the Spirit of God and His power in your life. Because when you sit in that meeting and your boss talks to you like no one should ever talk to a human being, and you get back to the break room and your coworker says, man, if you would have said that to me, I would have told him. And you say, man, I exercise that patience, but it's not for me. It's from a higher power. It's from Jesus. He's working in my life. He's got me. He's got control of me. And when you show that kindness to that stranger in, in Wegmans or whatever the case would be, it's, it's not you. It's God working within you because he's alive and he's active. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive in you if you're a follower of Jesus. And he is working to produce things in your life. So your choice is not do I have patience or do I have love. It's will you put it into exercise? Will you put it into work? Church father, Augustine of Hippo, he was looking at scripture and he began to get really burdened by all the commands that he saw of what God was asking of him. And when he looked at all those commands, he, he, he was like, God, I can't do this. I can't do these things that you're asking me to do. So he prayed this prayer. Father, command what you will and grant what you command. He said, essentially, in, a, in a lesser words or more simplified, he's like, God, what you ask of me, give me the power to do. And for all of us in this room, the question is, it comes down to this. Are you a follower of Jesus? And if so, pray that prayer with him. Pray that prayer to say, God, if you're going to ask me to do these things, give me the power and let me put it into practice. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, man, we would love to invite you and show you Jesus because when Jesus shows up in your life, things start changing for the better. If you're online, just tap into the chat right now. We, we have a host that would love to connect with you. Or if you're at one of our physical locations, you can see the people at Next on your way out the door just in a few minutes. They would love to chat with you. But Paul says, through the working of the Holy Spirit, he, he implies that we're doing what he's asking of us. Because look, let's look at these last two verses together. Verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit. You, you, did you hear that? He said, since we live by the Spirit. He's implying that you're going to do what he's asking of you. That you're going to lean into God. You're going to depend on him. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, or envying each other. Don't let us become boastful in ourselves when God's working in our lives. It's not you. It's him. Don't envy somebody else. Don't provoke them to anger when God's working in their lives. Encourage. So instead, through this series, through the next 10 weeks, when you see God at work in one of two ways in people's lives, when you see 
people killing sin. When you see by the power of God, anger get derooted, celebrate it. When you see by the power of God, greed coming out of somebody's life, celebrate it. Don't envy, don't boast, don't be prideful. And when you see by the power of God, some fruit of the Holy Spirit be put into work, celebrate it. Encourage one another every day because God is with us. He's working in us and through his power, we can kill sin and put into work the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And one practical way you can do that through this series is our team has written 10 devotionals for your family or just for you individually that you can access. If you just pull out your phone right now, text the word fruit to 585-312-3580. You can get access to all 10 of those devotionals over the next 10 weeks. They're, they're meant to be a primer for you and your family or you individually to get into God's word and let the spirit loose in your life. And if you let the spirit loose, I promise you won't regret it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for all you're doing and going to do in and through this series. I pray, God, that we would let your spirit loose in our lives. God, that we would just put into work, that we would crucify our flesh, that we would kill sin, and we would lean into all you have, that we would learn to be more and more dependent on you to produce what we need in our lives. God, that we would lean into you and do what you say. In Christ's name.